You're listening to the official South Bay Church podcast. For more about us, please visit southbaychurch.us. Well, what an amazing service it's been so far. Good morning, everyone. My name is Mark Stieberg, and if you're a first-time guest today, we welcome you. Welcome to South Bay Church. We uh, meet here every week, almost, and uh, if you are a first-time guest, make sure, if you haven't already, stop by our guest services table right outside in the foyer. Uh, We do have a gift for you, a small gift for you, and we'd love to get to know you better and obviously get you connected with our community here at South Bay Church. It's hard to believe that we're halfway through August, isn't it? It has been an amazing summer so far in the Steberg household. Our summer sort of kicked off with a trip to my homeland, to Iowa, to see my beautiful parents, Jim and Wanda Steberg, celebrate their 50th wedding anniversary. And I think you can say, looking at this picture, my dad definitely married up, didn't he? I mean, she is a beautiful woman, still is today. And then we had, after that, we had youth and teen camp. I know a lot of you were involved with that. That was an amazing experience. Thanks to those of you that did serve at youth camp. I know it really changed the lives of our kids. Uh, we're just coming off an amazing retreat in San Diego with the Bowens teaching us, uh, which was, for those of you that were able to go to that, that was an amazing time of fellowship and, and just uh, deeper teaching. And then, of course, as Gina said, we just wrapped up VBS. And thanks to to all of you that made that such an amazing experience for the children. I had the chance to stop by and take a look. It was all world, if you saw it. I mean, the the decorations, the kids were having a blast. So I really appreciate that. You know, Vacation Bible School is actually a pretty ancient institution. And you may not realize how old it really is. VBS, we called it VBS when I was a kid. Um, And I heard that Jesus actually made a special visit this week, by the way, to VBS. It kind of creeped out the uh, kids a little bit that Jesus was such a white guy and that he had such a remarkable mustache, but he did visit anyway. But anyway, hopefully that didn't warp our kids. But, you know, VBS goes all the way back to the beginning of time. You may not realize that I actually attended VBS back in the early 80s. Did any of you attend VBS? Any of you grown-ups? Okay, quite a few of you did. So you realize how long this has been around. And you know, my best childhood friends were my friends Brad and Mike. And, you know, we tormented our poor VBS teacher. Her name was Mrs. Hogue. Not Hog, Hogue. And, you know, we sang too loud, we wrestled, we, we threw stuff, we talked too much, we didn't listen to anything Mrs. Hogue said. And unfortunately, I think we sent her to the dark side. And so I'm sure Mrs. Hogue would roll over in her grave today if she knew that I were a full-time minister now. Um, but here's to you, Mrs. Hogue. I guess I'm proof God can do anything with anyone. But uh, we call our ministry here, our children's ministry, Kingdom Kids. We have tons of kids um, here in our church, which is awesome. And unfortunately, I didn't grow up in our church. I wasn't a Kingdom Kid, so my spiritual pedigree is a little checkered at best. Uh, so I'm truly honored when I get the opportunity to speak to you all on Sunday. Uh, I'm not your traditional minister. I kind of didn't go to seminary. I didn't go up, grow up being a minister. I've been a minister for about two years now after retiring from the corporate world, for those of you that know me. But uh, I am honored, and actually I'd say maybe even a little surprised, that Steve and Andy continue to let me back up here every once in a while. But I do spend quite a few hours preparing and praying for these sermons. I do take it very seriously. But do you know what, for me, is the worst part about, about preaching? The worst part about preaching is I have this friend, 
And I'll put friend in quotes, okay, because he's a friend. But this friend has made it his life mission, I believe, to critique every aspect of every single sermon that I do. And he always pulls me aside afterwards and he wants to talk. And I just kind of cringe when I see him coming because I'm just like bracing for what he's going to say. And he's just brutal sometimes in his critique. You know, imagine um, Simon Cowell, you know, from American Idol, times 10. And that's about how brutal this guy can be in his, his very honest critique. And the kind of things he's told me, he's told me before, you know, that was a very ineffective sermon. <laughs> you know, just did not connect with many people today, Mark. And he said one time, you know, you probably overshared a little too much in your sermon about sin there. And he once even said, you know, I just don't think you're really cut out for this. I don't think you're cut out to be a full-time minister. So you want to know who that friend is? You know, I'll be very open about it and I will, I'll call him out and I will not embarrass him because that friend is me. Those are the thoughts that I can often tell myself. And my wife Mia can attest to this that I have a long history of being very negative towards myself. And you may even go so far as to call it what Mia might call self-loathing at times. And I can tell myself these, these negative stories that really aren't even based in reality. And I don't know if I'm the only one here that struggles with that, but I do actually know that there are a few of you that I've met that do struggle with negative self-talk. Because we are bombarded today with this, these perfect images in our kind of Facebook, Snapchat, Instagram world, these perfect images of what our life is supposed to look like. And then we look at our own life and we think, wow, I, I don't really measure up to that. And you begin to feel like you just are falling short and you're ineffective and you don't measure up. And so I believe that in today's world, more than ever, it's so important to remember why God has made us. I mean, he built us for a specific reason. And I love that in our children's ministry, we've been really focused on that this summer is that, you know, for example, VBS was called Maker's Fun Factory because we have a maker who made us for a specific reason. And so the title of my sermon today is Built for a Purpose, Built for a Purpose. And our purpose is not to go through life feeling inadequate, despising ourselves, you know, I'm going to cover three things today, as I usually do. And you can find, by the way, the notes for today's sermon in the South Bay Church app. If you haven't downloaded that, you can download that from the app store. But under the notes section of the app, you'll find the notes. But I first of all want to talk about a wonderful truth that we can find in the scriptures and something we can really embrace um, as, as believers in Christ. Secondly, I want to talk about an inner war that I believe we all have to fight And then finally, we'll talk about how we move onward through that inner war to glory, onward to glory. So a wonderful truth, the inner war, onward to glory. Let's pray as we get started. God, thank you so much uh, for the opportunity to worship you publicly, to to be able to just uh, give back a small part in worship to you of what you've given us. And Father, I pray today in in the sermon that your word would speak to us, that the Holy Spirit would speak to us, that, that, that you would really help us to go away with just a reminder and a better, a deeper understanding of why you made us and how you feel about us. And, and most importantly, that we go away strengthened and encouraged from what uh, we see in the scriptures today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, what is this wonderful truth? Well, if, if you come to church often, or you spend any time with Christians, you've probably heard a phrase so often that I believe it can become cliché. And it can begin to lose some of its meaning. 
And that phrase is, we're here to glorify God. I just want to bring God the glory. Uh, and, and that's good. It's a good thing to say, but I don't think we always think deeply about what does that really mean? What does it really mean? You know, Genesis chapter 1 and 2 is a foundational part of the Bible. And we quote it a lot. We read it a lot because it's the account of how God created the world. And there's a wonderful truth that's embedded in Genesis 1 and 2 that I think we, we should not overlook. So I'm going to pick it up in Genesis chapter 1, starting in verse 26. It says, Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals and over the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. So God said four times here, let us make mankind in our image. And I think it's a fascinating side note that, that God's using the plural here. He's saying, let us make, God, make man in our image. So who is he talking to, you know, as he created the world? You know, it's our first glimpse here um, of the Trinity. You know, you have the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit who, who have been working together from the very beginning of time. But the amazing truth here is that, is that God, the creator of the universe, very deliberately and purposely made you and me in his image. And the Hebrew word for image is, and I'm not an expert in Hebrew, but it's salem, salem. And that suggests that we are made like God's shadow. So, you know, imagine your shadow out in front of you. You see your shadow, it it depicts your form, your shape. But the shadow's not really you, is it? And just in case you're wondering, we're not really God, but we're a shadow of God. We're like a picture of God to the world around us. And that has profound implications. And just let it sink in that you're made in the image of God. You are built for a purpose And the purpose is to reflect the qualities of God to the world around you. And that means that you are made to be holy and set apart, just as God is holy and set apart. You are made to be righteous, just as God is righteous. You are made to be eternal. God has set eternity in the hearts of men, just as God is eternal. And you're designed to rule As God rules. And Genesis tells us that God made mankind to reign over his creation. So you are the absolute, uncontested masterpiece of God's creation. Do you believe that? You are made in his image. And you know what? Nothing else in all creation can make that claim. Nothing else can but you and me. Do you know how special that makes you? I mean, you can think of yourself as God's agent on earth. And that brings a whole new dimension to the phrase that you are here to glorify God. You know, David reflects in Psalm 8, and I'm going to be reading a lot from the New Living Translation of the Bible today. But David says in Psalm 8, When I look at the night sky and see the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars you set in place, what are mere mortals that you should think about them? Human beings that you should care for them. Yet you made them only a little lower than God and crowned them with glory and honor. You gave them charge of everything you made, putting all things under their authority. 
So even though we're these frail, mortal human beings, David said that we're only a little lower than God. You know, some translations say a little lower than the angels. I like when it says we're a little lower than God. I'm like, what? I mean, I feel like nothing compared to God. And yet David says that we're only a little lower than God. And, and, and not only that, but he's crowned us with glory and honor. And he's put us in charge of his world, and that is incredible. You know, if you're a parent, you know, you probably will always remember the first time that you held your newborn baby in your arms and looked them in the eye or looked at their face to face, right? And that intense bond that you feel with this little creature who you made. And, and that love that you feel is really unlike any other love because this little baby reflects your image. And as a parent, you can begin, just begin to understand how God feels about you as his creation made in his image. And he's given you the privileged position that he has because he loves you. And in Genesis, we see that God loves mankind so much that he makes this amazing place for them to live. It's this garden where man and woman had everything they needed. And it was a place where God lived with them and he walked with them and he worked with them and he consulted with them. And man and, man and woman had this level of intimacy with God that's, that's hard for us to even grasp today in our fallen world. It was truly paradise. But you know how that ended, if you've read the account of the creation. Even though Adam and Eve had this paradise, they chose to believe a lie. They chose to mistrust God and to disobey God. And so God removed mankind from this garden of paradise and put a curse on them that we're still suffering from today. You know, but like a good father who disciplines his children, God never stopped loving us. You know, he made us. Again, we're still made to reflect his glory. And notice what God says, and I just noticed this this week, as, as he's removing Adam and Eve from the garden in Genesis three twenty two, He says, and the Lord God said, the man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. Now, we already, we already knew that we were made in his image, but God says again, now he's like one of us. So even though Adam and Eve were forced out of paradise, they still reflect the image of the creator. They're still like God. And now they would be even more like him because now they would come to know something that to that point God had sheltered them from, which was evil and the suffering that comes from evil. But even as God removed us from the garden, he, he still had a plan to restore us to our original position. And, and, and Paul explains it so well in Romans chapter 5. He says, yes, Adam's one sin brings condemnation for everyone. But Christ's one act of righteousness brings a right relationship with God and new life for everyone. Because one person disobeyed God, many became sinners. But because one other person obeyed God, many will be made righteous. And of course, Jesus is that one person who obeyed God. And we get the credit, we get the reward for his obedience while he gets the punishment for our sin. But he gives us an opportunity to triumph over sin and death. Because Jesus was always with his father. From the very beginning, as we saw, he was there. Yet he was willing to leave his father's side and be separated from his father in order to rescue you and to rescue me. And when Jesus died on the cross, he, he reopened this path for you to come back 
into God's presence. And through Jesus and the Holy Spirit inside of you, you can once again become God's agent on earth, reflecting the glory of God. And when you come to true faith in Jesus and, and, and you make him Lord of your life, you can actually become eternal, just as he is eternal. And you will reign with Jesus forever and ever, just as he designed you to do. I appreciate Joe sharing today, his friend Dennis, a brother who's now with God again. And it's so important to think deeply about this wonderful truth and meditate on it. You know, Paul said to Timothy in Timothy chapter, uh, 2 Timothy chapter 2, here's a trust, trustworthy saying. If we died with him, meaning with Jesus, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. And that hope can be yours. If you don't have that hope yet, or you're not quite sure about all this Jesus stuff and what he's done and how he's died and how he's saved us, then just sit down with us. Ask any member of our church. Stop by our, our guest services table outside. We'll, we'll connect you with people that will sit down with you and we'll show you in the Bible just as all of us were shown in the Bible, this amazing truth of what Jesus offers those who have faith in him. And again, when you truly follow Jesus, you reflect his glory. You are eternal and you will reign with him forever. So with that wonderful truth, what could possibly take us off course from that? Why would we ever let that not be front and center in our minds? Unfortunately, a lot of things take us off course from that wonderful truth. And I believe that this battle to claim our identity in Christ, much of that battle, if not most of that battle, has to be fought inside of ourselves. The most intense spiritual warfare happens in your own mind. I'm convinced of that. Because the Bible speaks of this powerful enemy in the spiritual realm who constantly attacks and accuses you. And this enemy, just for some unknown reason, has hated you and me from the beginning of time. And you can read in the Bible how the enemy has always been there at key moments in the history of mankind. The enemy was right there in the garden, tempting Adam and Eve to walk away from God. The enemy was there when, when God sent his son to redeem us. He attacked Jesus at the most opportune times, the Bible tells us. The Bible tells us that Jesus was tempted in every way. So Satan was trying to desperately thwart God's plan of salvation. And even in the 12th chapter of Revelation, the Bible talks about a spiritual war in heaven where, where God's angels are fighting against this enemy who's also called the dragon, who's also called the accuser of our brothers. And we're told that enemy accuses us before God day and night. And unfortunately, I know from personal experience, and you may know from personal experience, that that enemy aims his arrows of accusation directly at my heart. And he shoots to kill. As I mentioned earlier, again, I can hear this inner voice. I don't know if I hear voices. I hear a voice. But it's telling me that I'm not good enough. And the voice isn't just limited to when I preach. I mean, ask my wife Mia. She has to live with me. Poor lady. And she sees these negative thought patterns firsthand. You know, when I'm resting, the voice says, you're lazy. You shouldn't be resting. When I'm working, the voice says, you know, you're not working hard enough. You're not really good at what you do. When I'm around great people that I love, the voice is telling me, you know, they don't like you. You're not in the same league as them. You shouldn't talk because they're going to realize how out of the league they, you really are. They'll find out who you really are. And 
The voice even tells me, you know, God doesn't really, he's not happy with you. Not after what you've done and the way you've sinned. And that inner voice comes from the enemy. And it's important to understand how poisonous those negative thoughts can be. You know, Dr. Daniel Amen is a board-certified physician, and he's a psychiatrist. And I've been reading this book that he wrote because he's done, he and his colleagues have done over 83,000 brain scans over many, many years. And he's written books about this. And thanks to Kelly Miller for recommending his book. But Dr. Amen writes something. I just wanted to put it up because I, I found it really interesting. As a physician, he says, many people do not understand how important thoughts are. And they leave the development of thought patterns to random chance. When a person's mind is burdened with many negative thoughts, it affects the person's ability to learn, his or her ability to relate relate to other people, and his or her physical health. The thoughts are important. And Dr. Amen has a step-by-step, he calls them positive thinking principles that he uses in his psychotherapy practice. And I thought they were so, they're, they're brief, but they're so powerful, I just thought I would just share them with you. There's seven of them. The first one is that, Every time you have a thought, your brain releases chemicals. And thoughts are real. They have a real impact on how you feel and how you behave. The second principle is every time you have a mad, unkind, sad, cranky thought, your brain releases negative chemicals that make your body feel bad. On the other side of the coin, every time you have a good, happy, hopeful, kind thought, your brain releases chemicals that make your body feel good. Your body reacts to every thought you have. Thoughts are very powerful. They make your mind and body feel good or they make you feel bad. Now listen to this. Every cell in your body is affected by every thought you have. That's scary, isn't it? Unless you think about your thoughts, they are automatic and they just happen. Since they just happen, they're not always correct. Your thoughts do not always tell you the truth. And lastly, you can train your thoughts to be positive. Or you can just allow them to be negative and upset you. So, so here's an analogy for our thought life. You know, hopefully we, we all have learned personal hygiene. I think most of you have. <laughs> um, we're taught from a young age, right, to brush our teeth twice a day, to wipe our bottoms completely, to take a shower periodically, to wear deodorant and so on. I do think eight-year-old boys go through a period where they don't do any of those things, as I've found, but they do snap out of it eventually. But we've learned to keep our bodies clean, right? And and that's dramatically improved our health over the last hundred years or so. But isn't it interesting that we're never taught the importance of maintaining healthy thought patterns? Mental hygiene is just as important as dental hygiene. (laughs) But many of us, including myself, allow our thoughts to become stinky, so to speak. So we need to take control of our thought life. And when it comes to that destructive inner voice... I believe the biblical strategy to win the inner war is to simply acknowledge and replace. Acknowledge and replace. First of all, acknowledge the destructive thoughts for what they are. They are lies from the accuser. In 2 Corinthians 10, Paul talks about human thought. He says, we are human, but we don't wage war as humans do. We use God's mighty weapons, not worldly weapons, to knock down the strongholds of human reasoning and destroy false arguments. We destroy every proud obstacle that keeps people from knowing God. We capture their rebellious thoughts and teach them to obey Christ. So Paul knew that the war we're we're fighting, it's a spiritual war. And he knew that human thoughts can be a barrier An obstacle to really knowing God. 
And that's why Paul said it's crucial to identify and destroy wrong thinking. And, and once those rebellious thoughts are captured, we need to make them obedient to Christ. And the Bible has even more to say about that. In Philippians 4, familiar scripture. And now, brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. So after we think about the negative thoughts, we need to replace them with true, honorable, right, lovely, pure, admirable thoughts. And Paul's not just talking about, like, you know, puppies and babies and, you know, (laughs) bunnies, although those are pure and lovely. He instructs us to think about what is most true and most honorable and most lovely and most admirable, which is what? We just talked about it. It's Jesus. We meditate on the truth that nothing can separate you from God's love in Jesus. Think about the truth that God wants to restore you so that you can live with him forever in paradise. You know, that's how we fight the inner battle, my friends. Jesus gives us all the weapons that we really need. And if you struggle with negative thinking, I think we all do to some degree, just try this. Acknowledge and replace strategy. You have to train yourself to be more aware of your thoughts and to replace the bad with the good. And by the way, you can find all the good in a book, in God's Word. It's all written down. I really do believe that reading the Bible daily, it it, it helps you to better manage your thought life. Because it gives you the truth to to reflect on, not not lies. And it might also be helpful to to be open with a a faithful spiritual friend about your negative thoughts. and, and, And ask them to help you replace those thoughts with true thoughts. You know, get some help with your mental hygiene. <laughs> it's okay. I'm grateful to be part of a group of brothers that we text scriptures back and forth all the time, every day. Throughout the day, I get a scripture. You know, this week I got a, a text from Pat Toomey who talks to me about how our life is a scripture where our life is so much, it's just like garbage compared to knowing Jesus. You know that scripture? Philippians? And then P- Pat texts a picture of a garbage dump. <laughs> it's like, okay, let's bring it home here. That's my life compared to Jesus. But those things help me, you know. And the inner war, you know, it's this negative thinking. But I don't think it's just limited to negative thinking. I believe that the, the attacks to our God-given identity come in another form. And they come in the form of pain and suffering. Because when bad things happen to us and we suffer, we can lose sight of how God views us. And in our darkest hours, we can start to ask God some tough questions. God, if you love me, why are you allowing this to happen? Why do I deserve this? And if you're you're angry at me, God, why are you punishing me this way? You ever felt that way? Be honest. You found yourself asking those questions. If you haven't, you will. (laughs) I think you will. I have. Because my my personally, my family, I know many of you have gone through suffering and you're going through suffering right now. Probably all of you in some way. But you know, personally, my family has gone through some suffering recently. My my wife has Several health conditions that cause her to suffer chronic pain. That's, that's a challenge. You know, one of my son has been suffering from a health challenge. You know, my parents, that beautiful Iowan couple that you saw there, you know, they've suffered this year. My dad had a major surgery in January, and my mom was trying to take care of him in the, in, in the winter in Iowa. She fell on the ice, broke her leg in three places, and she crawled 100 yards or so over the mud and snow to get help. She's a tough woman. She's still recovering from that. 
But on top of that, you know, I'm, I'm personally adjusting to this new normal of being in the full-time ministry after working in the corporate world for 20 years. I've gone through my own share of relationship difficulties with people as I continue to grow as a person, and that's always painful. You know, and, and on top of that, you know, the time commitment to deal with all these things has been enormous. And, and, and it just has left me feeling spiritually drained at times and emotionally drained. And, you know, in the dark moments, I start wondering to myself, you know, is God unhappy with me? Is that why all these bad things are happening to me and the people I love? Maybe he's punishing me for something. And then I, I pray and I read the Bible. and I know that's not true. But I think therein lies the danger of suffering, folks, because suffering can either draw you nearer to God or it can repel you from God. I mean, have you ever heard someone say, you know, if God is real, why would he allow such a horrible thing to happen? You know, how do you explain a child being murdered or being abused in any way? How do you explain human trafficking? How do you, you're filling the blank, disease, famine, terrorism. How do you explain those things? I can't believe in a God that allows those things. Have you ever heard that? You know, we, we, we will all have negative consequences, but we have to be on guard not to use our circumstances to reject God. Suffering does not mean that God is angry with you. And I encourage you to read or reread the book of Job if you are ever feeling that way, because it'll help you. And certainly the, existing of, the existence of evil doesn't mean that God does not exist. In reality, the only real hope we have when we're suffering is Jesus. And it's not like he doesn't know suffering. I mean, he came to earth fully human, and he experienced unthinkable pain. And so he understands what suffering is like. And I think it's really the ultimate irony, really, to walk away from the only true source of hope who can help you through pain. But we still live in a fallen world. And that means bad things will happen to you and the ones you love. So how do you overcome when your circumstances just seem unbearable? You know, how do you maintain your identity and your purpose when you feel like walking away from God? How do you push through those times and push onward to glory? You know, something that that I read recently really helped me to put pain and suffering into perspective. And Dr. Timothy Keller is, in my humble opinion, one of the great theologians alive today. You may not agree with everything he teaches, but I think he's got some really interesting insights. And he wrote this book called Walking with God in Pain and Suffering. And he speculates in that book why God may allow evil and suffering. And I'm just going to start a little a brief excerpt. He says, but why could it not be that God allowed evil because it will bring us all to a far greater glory and joy than we would have had otherwise? Isn't it possible that the eventual glory and joy we will know will be infinitely greater than it would have been had there been no evil? What if the future world will somehow be greater, having once been broken and lost? If such is the case, that would truly mean the utter defeat of evil. Evil would have accomplished the very opposite of what it intended. You know, this has really helped me to think differently about pain and suffering, because I think most people today try to avoid pain at all costs. Just keep pain away from me. But, but what if pain and suffering here on earth is just a way, as Dr. Keller writes, of obtaining a more glorious eternity? You know, what if throughout eternity you're going to be able to rejoice that God gave you the faith to overcome the hardships on earth? 
Just look forward with me for a moment. And just, just imagine the last day. Close the eyes if you want to. And just think about the last day when you stand before God's throne. And I found a picture here that kind of looks like heaven. I thought it was kind of cool. But imagine you're before God's home. The, the heavenly host is around you. You know, what will God look like on his heavenly throne? I believe that I will have fallen down face first in fear and awe. But after that, I imagine that in my imagination that, that this huge curtain lifts behind God. And behind that curtain is this enormous movie screen. And it's like a thousand times bigger than the biggest movie screen, the biggest IMAX screen you've ever seen. And then the whole heavenly host will grow silent as the most difficult moments in your life begin to play on the screen for everyone to see. And as I stand before God, I believe personally that that giant screen is going to show the most difficult moments in my life. It's going to show the time all the way back when I was a little boy. The first negative memory I have, I was out hunting with my dad and I got tangled up in this, this patch of like thorn bushes. And I was so tangled and it was cutting my skin and it was wintertime and I thought I was going to die there. And I called out to God and my dad came and saved me. Or fast forward to middle school when, you know, the other boys would ridicule me and call me penguin because I was chubby and I was a slow runner. I remember, fast forward to the time in college, you know, when, when my childhood sweetheart, who had been the love of my life to that point, Jesus, uh, me is the love of my life now in Jesus, but, but she was the love of my life to that point. She broke up with me and left me devastated. Or the time when I watched my, my grandparents die an agonizing death from cancer. You know, the time when my three-year-old son needed surgery and, and I had to carry him into the operating room and he just looked at me in horror as I handed him over to surgeons. Like, why are you leaving me here? The times when I've been passed over for promotions at work. The times when my beloved wife Mia has gone through tremendous pain and suffering. The times when Mia and I lost a child through a miscarriage. Two times. And the times when I felt like a complete failure as a Christian and as a leader in God's church. You know, I just imagine as these, as these scenes play on the screen, you know, I imagine that God's going to pause after each scene, hit the pause button and say, well done, because you suffered, yes, but you overcame. You overcame through your faith in me. And now, my son, it's time for your reward. And then I think I'll hear this deafening roar as this entire heavenly hosts, this great cloud of witnesses in heaven, cheers wildly for me. And most importantly, they praise Jesus for his goodness in helping me to overcome. Do not lose heart. Though inwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory. That far outweighs them all. Glory. I mean, your, your hardships are achieving for you an eternal glory that, that you would never have if you did not go through those hardships. And that's the view you need to have of pain and suffering here on earth. Whatever you suffer here on earth is going to bring into focus the glory that far outweighs our momentary pain of this world. So, 
What scenes is God going to play on your heavenly IMAX screen? That's between you and God. Why will that heavenly host and why will God and Jesus cheer for you for overcoming? That's between you and them. But your heavenly glory, your eternal glory will come. It will come when you overcome through your faith in Jesus. So, my friends, I'm going to close out. Take heart. Take heart because you are built for a purpose. And you reflect the image of God himself. You are made for glory. You are made for eternal life. And, and your suffering here on earth only serves to make your glory even greater. So don't allow the accuser to take you off path. Don't allow your suffering to take you off course. Because you will move onward to glory when you acknowledge and take captive your destructive thoughts. When you replace those thoughts with Jesus, and then you view hardship as the way to gain eternal glory. And I'm going to leave you with the beautiful words of Jesus' best friend on earth, Peter, who did his own share of suffering and ultimately died upside down on a cross. In the New Living Translation, Peter says, Be truly glad. There is wonderful joy ahead, even though you must endure many trials for a little while. These trials will show that your faith is genuine. It is being tested as fire purifies and tests gold, even though your faith is far more precious than mere gold. So when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. So thank you. God bless you all. Let's move onward to glory together. Thanks for listening to the South Bay Church Podcast. For other sermons, videos, upcoming events, and more about our church, please visit southbaychurch.us.